0: This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles David Kennedy Cutler. Dave makes sculptural work that features scanned images of clothing, body parts, tools, and food that are printed and mounted onto wooden shapes, or sheets of aluminum that are then twisted and hammered into three-dimensional forms. The objects depicted are often personal, tilting the work towards a version of self-portraiture. Dave has also started orchestrating performance-based works. A recent performance showcased the artist clad in a head-to-toe printed costume of himself, as he wrestled with a stuffed replica version of the costume, frantically trying to force the replica into a resolute and standing position. The work is entirely captivating and layered with issues related to identity and physical labor and perception. We recorded the following conversation at his studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. I feel like a good place to start is every time I come in here, I'm... I'm, overwhelmed with the amount of work that you have going on and i'm also trying to discern what is your real work apron versus a sculpture of your work apron so there's this illusion that comes into play that i'm always really excited about and it always it sometimes feels like a, a like a, a prop room to me like you've got a stack of body parts that you uh, that are parts of sculptures or these uh these sculptures that are versions of your head so the energy in here is always really intriguing and provocative um, is this the the amount of action that's going on in here it, I, I know you're, you're, you're you said you're sort of straightening up right now, but is this is this typical for how it feels in here or is it busier than it sometimes is or is this about about average the amount of work that's on display and in here or, or um, yeah just what it feels like?
1: uh yeah it's it's generally pretty overwhelming in here it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of a mess <laughs> as I may have described in the past um yeah I, th- I think it's it's progressively gotten this way since I moved into this studio yeah
0: how long have you been in here
1: uh since two thousand thirteen okay so almost four years yeah oh, four I, years I lost my old studio and um I did kind of a purge mm-hmm. from that one and started anew here mm-hmm. and um it's. Re- I think it's pretty interesting that it's becoming broadly reflective of my personality or or what's happening in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. You could camouflage in here. I mean, there's your image is in the work, and you're wearing one of your plaid shirts, and there's some of your plaid shirt sculptures. I feel like you could, you could like seamlessly like blend it, camouflage in, which is kind of interesting. It's efficient though, Dave. It feels. I mean, you you use the height of your space to really, f- you know. You utilize wall space as storage and, and display and working surface. And I sometimes forget to look up. So it's nice to see.
1: You uh, mean in your studio?
0: Yeah, in my studio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of real estate up there. So it's nice to see you utilizing the space. Um,
1: I don't think I have a choice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing um, I guess I wanted to start out on um, was the show you did recently in Estonia. Um, that was a couple months ago
1: um it opened on october 8th i think oh, okay so uh yeah it just within
0: the realm of recent activity yeah and estonia um is northern europe it is off it's, of the baltic sea
1: it's the northernmost baltic state it's uh across from helsinki and kind of even with saint petersburg and
0: near finland too right
1: yeah, Helsinki is just right. It, oh, right. right, in fin, right, right. Helsinki. Is the capital right. of Finland right, right, right. and it's right it's like a 30 minutes away or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my uh, uh, country capitals of northern Europe. A lot I, of I got to work on it.
1: A lot of people have trouble placing Estonia, which included me when I first uh-huh. learned of the show. And was it at
0: a gallery or a museum or what sort of space was it in?
1: It was in a provisional space. Uh, there's an organization there called the Center for Contemporary Arts Estonia. And they did this in partnership with a New York gallery called Art in General. Uh-huh. So it was like a roving museum type kind of situation. Right. right. And
0: I saw pictures of it online. I mean, would have loved to have gone, but it seemed like a beautiful big space.
1: Uh, yeah, it was huge. Yeah. It was a former arts association, like uh, used under communist times, probably built then, and mm-hmm. it had um, real dystopian looking place. Mm-hmm. It had real. It was real raw um yeah industrial mm -hmm. but
0: but like like rolled white walls and stuff right yeah brick or like cement walls that have been painted gallery
1: white yeah white all the way to the top Mm -hmm. i think paint's probably cheap there so uh
0: can you describe what you included in the show um i know you had your sculptures um and there's uh you know there's usually an installation component with the stuff that you do and then you did a performance can you walk us through what what you all what you presented
1: yes um so because of the budgetary constraints, this was a non-profit show, I had to figure out how to get, I had to figure out how to fill a 34 foot by 17 foot room with my work, which is, all of it is a one-to-one scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to be able to get stuff there in a couple of suitcases and then um, fill the space. So the main space. And that was a
0: consideration with the show you put together, like how what can I make that will fit? in carrying or that I can check onto an airplane. Exactly. Oh, okay.
1: Um, so there was something really economical about it. Right, right, right. Um, so the, the space was, was wide open. So I had it uh, the idea of dividing the space with a wall, um, with this repeating hammer motif. Mm -hmm. Um, that's an image of a wooden hammer, uh, spread across, uh, I don't know, like six sheets of really big birch plywood. Mm -hmm. Um, so that served as like a backdrop, painting, mural, wall situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I brought 180 pieces of wooden bread that I tiled across the floor of the space. And that was in one rolling Little suitcase. Little
0: individual slices of like moldy white bread, right? Yeah. That was made of wood. Yeah.
1: But okay. it was, it's an image of... Everything was an image of a thing instead of a thing. mm mm-hmm. um, And then the sculptures in the show were outfits that were images of myself. So there are these... Right. Uh, they were able to be packed up like clothing. Right. And, and then you
0: would fill them out with stuffing to give them form?
1: Yeah, well, there were there were two of them. Okay. Uh, one of them was an empty suit. Or well, they were both empty suits, but I filled up one with a real roughly approximated version of myself made of like canvas and duct tape and packing foam. Right. And then dressed it, and the other one I wore.
0: You wore. It was, so you made a suit of yourself that you wore over yourself. Yes. Right. Um, and I want to talk about some of the motifs and – the some of the recurring themes of your you in a little bit but um i'm curious if you could um describe what that the performance how it went and what it felt like because last time we talked you had like a real visceral um inner response to what that felt like can you can you go into that a bit more yeah again? so
1: uh do you want to know the quick plot of the performance yeah or, yeah, or yeah do people want to know <laughs> uh i would the... like to know <laughs> At some point during the opening, when there was a good enough amount of people there, I disappeared. I went to a green room that they had provided, and I got dressed in the outfit, and I came back into the space dragging this dummy. And in a sort of haphazard, unplanned way, I I just attempted to get the dummy to sp- stand up in the mm-hmm. space. Um, and because it's floppy, it refused, and I would get angry. We would run around I would pin it up against walls. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I discover this empty vitrine that I had set up in the space, and I keep trying to get the dummy into the vitrine. That keeps falling out. And
0: just to be clear, you're wearing the costume of yourself over yourself while you're yeah. doing this.
1: So it looks like uh, two of this identical weird digital right. skin are, are kind right. of right. And one with clearly
0: is you inside of the other one is floppy. It's clear that there's there's it's it's a doll.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So anyway, the the ultimate result is that I seal the dummy up inside of a case, which makes it stand up, and now it's a hermetically sealed sculpture. Mm -hmm. On display. On display, Mm -hmm. standing up like a sculpture is supposed to do. And then at that point when my work is finished, I unzip out of the outfit of myself, and I'm wearing the same outfit underneath, and then I leave the exhibition, and I don't come back.
0: You walked out of the gallery.
1: Yeah, I slammed the door on the way out.
0: Right. It Like, aggressively, like...
1: Yeah, that was a last-minute decision. Mm-hmm. I just... it, I had um so much uh, adrenaline mm-hmm. going, and it's also really difficult to breathe under this plastic mask. Right, that, and see, right? You only had a
0: little pinhole.
1: You give yeah, yourself a little pinhole, so you can barely see. Yeah, you can only see out of one pupil, actually, mm-hmm. but just because of the alignment of the mask. Mm-hmm. And I was just... I was breathing really heavily the whole time. I, I think a lot of people thought it was for show, the... The really determined action but Mm -hmm. it's really laborious in there it's hot it's sweaty it's hard to breathe uncomfortable yeah
0: Mm -hmm. and um so you you walk out of your own show rage raging on adrenaline Mm -hmm. and did you return or you like like that was the end of the show for you and or like
1: yeah there there either i don't know there was another 45 minutes or something Uh and i went into this green room and this circulation in my hands i like couldn't even you know i had pins and needles it was kind of cold huh i was stalking around wearing this like outfit half on my body like half unzipped uh-huh and i had i had a bottle of water in the room and there was this like just a sink it was a really like atrocious kind of dem- demolished little room uh-huh and instead of filling up the water like a civilized human being i went directly to the faucet and started drinking directly out of the faucet like i was like it sounds like terrific.
0: you went primal in a way.
1: I did, yeah. I felt uh, really. Um, I just, I I had I felt had this feeling that I thought this is the way a musician must feel after a performance. Yeah, I was going to ask
0: you have you have you ever felt that way before in any other
1: life situation? Um, I don't think so. No.
0: Yeah, I was trying to think when you told me about this. Um last time I was over, I was I was trying to think about what I've done, where I may have felt those things. And like, and it's, and it's usually like an intense situation, like um, the birth of one of my kids, car accident, a a physical fight, you know, from when my younger crazy days, but like, these really charged out of control moments where your body sort of goes into this place, animal place, and it sounds like that's what happened. And you'd never done a performance like this before, correct? This no, was your first uh, one.
1: I've, I've never done one at all. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was so freaked out. I like, I had to turn off the lights. I like, lay down on the floor yeah. to compose myself, bring your just, heart rate back down. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely.
0: Would and you do it again? Are you happy with how it came 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 out?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Um, and you know, part of it is that I don't really consider myself a per- performance right, artist. Right, right, There's right. people who have trained their bodies for years to be able to do incredible things. Mm-hmm. and um, But for me, this, this show was a lot about labor or the labor of the artist. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was really just finishing the installation of the show during the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a weird way, it was just like reiterating my daily task, but now just in front of people.
0: Right. Yeah, there's a lot of layers there to think about. And, and maybe this is a good, good area to 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 jump into some of the the themes and 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 concepts and content of your work um and a few few of the things that i think about when i reflect on your work are um uh, layers of identity uh, you know particularly how you view yourself and the objects that might represent you Uh, i'm thinking about your shirts that you sometimes make sculptures of your own image, you, you have these sculptures that have your face printed on them. Um, tools that you use at your um, in your um, work as an art handler. Uh, um, all these things that sort of connect back to you. Um, labor feels like you just talked about this whole performance was connected to this idea of the artist and the labor of an artist. So I think about labor with your work and the tools that we use to make work. Um, um another thing I think about it are the exchanges between two dimensions and three dimensions with your stuff, because a lot of your um, your aluminum pieces start off as as a 2D sheet of flat metal that you're printing on, and then you manipulate it into form, right so there's this leap from flat to to, to sculpture that's kind of interesting. Um, um, technology maybe plays a little bit of a role. Mm-hmm. Um, and the generations of reproduction, and I and I, I think of that when um, you first showed me a video of you um, wearing a suit of yourself over yourself, and then this most recent performance where you're wearing the suit over yourself of yourself, playing with a dummy of yourself. Like there's these generations of you that I sometimes go down a wormhole, like <laughs> trying to understand that, and I and I like that challenge of like w- like which which Dave is this or what, you know, what phase is this? Um, and, um, maybe how we present ourselves as well through these objects and through these things um, that we wear. Um, am I missing anything? You know, I'm sure there's other things, but what would you strike anything from that list or add anything to that list? Uh, no, this is just my experience of your work. So,
1: I mean, I think that is, uh, uh, you're talking about a lot of the things that I think about. Yeah. And have been thinking about. Okay, I feel. Um,
0: I feel good about
1: that. Then. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, maybe the in a, in addition, I think that to some degree you see like the f- the food as the fuel for the labor, the you know the clothing as both like shield and skin and the a- the work apron, um, the tools, et cetera. So I think there's kind of like a holistic ecosystem. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe another thing is that in a lot of ways they the there's maybe like um all, of all the things you were saying there's like a it's like a projection of the self mm-hmm. uh, like uh in in a way that's almost like a like a mythology or something mm-hmm. like a or, or a perception a, a perception or even like an idealized uh, version mm-hmm. um and in in a lot of ways i think that is kind of reflective of when you're talking about technology Mm -hmm. not only do i use digital methods to Mm -hmm. make these things bringing them back into the analog world um but i think there's that mediating influence that i'm really interested in Uh where like i no longer have control over myself or my or my image and that the images of the things that make up my identity are like self-replicating through this cheap disseminated image right out to the world
0: right Another thing that um I thought was interesting from our last hang was we we um went back and forth on this um this this hesitation or this allergy to saying my work is about x like I feel like that's a um a struggle for a lot of artists they don't like saying my work is about it's sort of like a a damned way to talk about your work would you agree or or what do you think the the flaw is or what what is our problem with saying my work is about this like being is it just a matter of being specific and avoiding, not wanting to be specific, and fear of being absolute? Like, what do you, uh, what's your take on that?
1: Uh, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. In the way that, uh, uh, I think w- w- what we were talking about was like how I watch some artists who have l- they have like a thing mm-hmm. where they, um, they they seem to like. Situate themselves, and they there's like so much confidence there, right. and knowing that this is their thing, and like their
0: brand or their signature or something like that
1: yeah or the, or that they just their interest really holds, or they have a innate stylistic voice that kind of can can pull any content from the world into it uh-huh, and I think I've told you before that i I think that through the making of my work, I learn what the work is about in a lot of ways, right. like the predeterministic quality right of of things being about something or that there is even a plot sure like i, mean, I think about as a it's a horrible word to use about art uh-huh. because it implies linguistics and, uh-huh. and language uh-huh. like what is the book about but with art you're looking at things and there's so much more subjectivity and there's so much more of a dialectic Mm -hmm. it's it's not especially with sculpture it's not a passive experience it's like you're engaging yeah you
0: got to walk around it often
1: yeah and it's Mm -hmm. it's usually in consideration to your scale Mm -hmm. it's kind of the there's a difference between it and painting or photography where you're you understand that language of like looking in or out to something and um you know i like sculpture doesn't really have a plot yeah it just is
0: yeah that's well said i also (laughs) think that um I'll speak for myself, but I don't like being cornered with definitions like uh, I like operating in some ambiguity about what this what this could p- potentially um, represent or suggest. Uh, and when I'm um, uh, I'm hesitant to define things clearly for myself or for anyone else when it comes to visual art. So I share the same philosophy, I think. Um
1: a woman that i knew once told me that um falling in love with art is like falling in love with a person if you were able to know everything right away you wouldn't be interested
0: oh yeah 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 the mystery is important yeah and learning and unpacking that mystery and making having it make sense for yourself is is where the love where where you find the love i think um you know your process is multi-layered too there's photography involved or some form of photography, scanning, um, sculpture, printing, woodworking. Um, could you, maybe, maybe, maybe it'd be a good, a fun exercise to hear, to, to hear you, uh, talk about how you make one of these sort of, if you could summarize, start to finish, um, um, how you make these things just on a, on a, on a pragmatic level, how they how they come to be? Maybe we could. Do you want to use one of your shirt sculptures as an example? Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, those are actually a good starting point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I begin by composing a, a something on a tabletop, essentially. Um, and in order to use, to use these uh, wand scanners that I use, it's like a rolling, battery-powered scanner. Right. Um, you're essentially like creating like a bootleg scanner like a large scale scanner uh-huh. but instead of you putting your stuff on top of a scanner bed you're putting the scanner on top of your stuff mm-hmm. um so i make these compositions with you know say a plaid shirt i lay it out i put these objects on it and then i scan it and i make a composition
0: so you, so you sort of stylize your shirt not almost like a like for a photo shoot but you get it in the such a way that you want and you're putting objects like banana peels in this one um band-aids and that one on top of the shirt and you're using you just taking a picture with a wand scanner yeah okay
1: so then you you stitch those scans i don't know why i just
0: repeated what you just said (laughs) i guess i had to like
1: for clarity
0: yeah i had to think about it for a second okay sorry
1: uh it's you know it's for clarity so um yeah so you you make a composition you in photoshop using the strips of scan that you have and then um you know, you're kind of like mediating this like real thing in through the computer, and then uh, after that, I prep and I prime a piece of aluminum. Um, really thin. Really thin gauge yeah. aluminum, yeah. And uh,
0: so thin it can put be put through a printer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then
1: I feed it through an inkjet printer, mm-hmm. um, and then um, I you know I clear coat that, and then I I feed it through on the other side with mm-hmm. the same image, so I have a two sided image, and then after that. Uh, in the case of the shirts, in particular, I start essentially tailoring the metal like back into the shirt. And you of use like
0: snippers, metal snippers, to cut it out, or what? What tool do you use at that point? Uh, to cut cut the the sh- the contour of the shirt out.
1: The aluminum is actually just thin enough that I can score it with a blade, and then oh, okay. I can tear it um, into the shape that it is in. So
0: you cut yourself a lot while you're pulling these apart. Yeah, yeah that's part of it.
1: Al- with all of the work I think that I've ever made, I induce a lot of injury upon mm-hmm. myself um it's like really visceral intense experience um a lot of hammering pushing twisting pulling um so yeah the, i mean the process is actually like pretty lengthy and then the making is like kind of a flurry of activity right and uh it's just i don't know why it's this like kind of weirdly crazy problem that i said for myself because you do all this work just to arrive at the thing that you started from. Yeah. Um, And I guess this story of this mediation of the thing pushed through this compression software and these like ones and zeros and the quality of the scanner that creates this like hyper-realistic, really saturated imagery. And then it pushes it out on the other side to be this thing that seems to be more real or more aware of what it is than The thing itself, right?
0: And once it's scored or you tear it out, is that when you start bending it and and um, folding it over to give it that sort of fabric feel? Yeah. A- and and crumpling it, not unlike a you crumple a piece of paper.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except the paper holds its shape, um, which is the quality of the, the aluminum. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think about the gestures, and you know, I have I have a basic form is that it looks like a shirt hung up on a peg right right yeah um which is
0: yeah, it's not abstracted to uh, from that you can definitely tell that these are shirts
1: yeah so you know and then at some point i cut out a collar and i fix a collar and then i start working on sleeves and with cuffs and mm-hmm.
0: um there's an interesting uh surrender that takes place once i i feel like i imagine there's a surrender once there's a lot of control while you're going through the scanning thing and the composing in Photoshop, and then um, getting it to print properly on the aluminum. Once you start bending it with hammers and, use hammers and, or is it all, is it all just handwork to, to bend no, it? I use hammers it?
1: and chisels, and the hammers I wrap in cloth yeah. so they You're
0: surrendering blend. control, because you can't, at least I think, right? You, there's, there's not as much control when you're doing that part of it
1: versus the, the
0: front half, or is there? Can you control how it's bending and everything?
1: I mean I get better at it as yeah. a, the more I do it, okay. but it's a it's a pretty chaotic call and response kind of process okay. where you're responding. Yeah. But it, I don't it's something within me where I just I work so hard to make the perfect thing and then I just fuck it up.
0: Yeah. that probably feels good.
1: Yeah, it, it's an outlet for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh what about the psychology of yourself while you're working on these? What's going through your head while you're working? Are you thinking about these ideas that we're discussing or are you, is your mind wander? What sorts of things, um, are in your brain while you're, while you're making these?
1: Um, I mean, I guess it's like a catch all for anything, but, uh, it doesn't really wander. I think when I'm, I'm most interested in this way of making things because you know, I listen to music. I don't listen to talk radio mm-hmm. or podcasts or anything mm-hmm. when I'm in here. I just, I kind of set up these situations where there's long periods where I just do and mm-hmm. I just make. So I think all the intellectual work happens in advance, like where I kind of set up parameters to then impose my my chaos or my will upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that you said that because last night I was, as I was falling asleep, I'm reading this book by like a psychoanalyst who's he's married to a woman in the arts, and he was talking about how. Um, Like as 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 children, we set up obstacles. Like the only he's basically saying, like the only way to desire anything in the world, is for it is for there to be something in front of it or like an obstacle in front of it. Um, And he talks about like that as like a relation to like. You know that moment where you separate from your um, your parent or something. Mm -hmm. You you suddenly realize that the world that the world is like full of obstacles to your connection to something, and when i was reading that last night i was like oh my god that's just like what i'm always doing is just like setting up these like parameters or obstacles that i can't that i have to like destroy or something
0: uh-huh yeah making art is often a problem that we're trying to resolve <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's sort of it um you studied painting correct I, I did yeah uh could you talk about how you arrived at making more sculptural based work after studying painting like when did the shift take place
1: the shift happened my first year out of college um you know i had a tiny studio in a closet in williamsburg was making these paintings and I i moved away for a summer up to an island in maine and i couldn't make anything that whole summer and so because you didn't have
0: space or you you had a job that didn't allow you time. yeah I was
1: working like 60 hours a week and what were doing? I was waiting tables on a, on a island out in the Atlantic Ocean where there was like no cars on the island like but it was kind of a decent sized tourist industry there mm-hmm. um yeah and I really couldn't make anything and so I just I would go down to the water and sit on the rocks and listen to the ocean and listen to music and sort of idealize what I'd want to make in the world not really No longer having attachments to what kind of artist I thought I should be, but Mm -hmm. just like what I wanted to make. I came back to New York with the money that I'd saved up from that summer and I got a loft and I... With friends? No, I just got my own. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I needed a roommate pretty fast. Right, right, right. But I wanted some control and I needed a bigger space and I just started making all these ideas that I had and they were all sculptural. But not having any idea how to make any sculpture, you can see, like, the principles of two-dimensional art are, like, alive and well. Sure, sure, I make. yeah.
0: I mean, that's what I was saying earlier, the exchange between flat and three-dimensional stuff earlier. Okay. Yeah,
1: I don't know if, like, my ignorance makes them better or if or if uh, the whole thing is, like, the struggle between, like, the flat representation of a thing and then the thing being born into the mm-hmm. world somehow. Like, maybe there's like everything i've ever made like results from some sort of like conflict of that or yeah something.
0: Well the work i mean feels confident. It doesn't seem like you're winging it in terms of building these things. So yeah, i just like you're, you're
1: fooling me. <laughs> I learned how to cast this year. Okay. So, oh, that's like sculpture 101 like casting. Uh, yeah. right? You got to learn how to do. I that. don't know how to weld. There's like i'm just okay. completely right, right, right. All this stuff has been feeling in the dark.
0: Right, right. And one of the first shows and we talked about this last time, but one of the first shows that you um did here in new york at your gallery was the work was a little bit different it was all transparent sheets of four by eight foot plexiglass Mm -hmm. that you had heated up with industrial heat guns and molded and they had sort of this like ghost figurative quality because um i think you used your own body as sort of supports while you were there's some beautiful photos floating around out there of you working on these things um um, but the, were those sort of an, uh, like an a, like a, an archetype for this other stuff, like sans the printed image on, on the on the glass. I mean, because they were completely transparent. You know, it sort of played with space and air and um, you know. I guess I'll use the word perception again, sort of bending light a little bit. Um, but that work is different than the work you're making now. Um, was that the first sculptures that you made? um and then put out there sort of after making the leap from painting to sculpture
1: um no they weren't they were probably i'd made some stuff for sculptures for i don't know like 6 years before that probably oh, okay um but this was my first solo show in new york it was maybe like that's what my, i'm referring to it as the first time out because it was yeah. it was
0: a substantial show
1: yeah i think it was a it was kind of a statement it was kind of my coming out party in new york um, it was, and in that way, it was kind of weird because it was invisible and hardly perceptible, but it was also kind of a bold poetic statement. Yeah. Um, but what I've kind of to understand is that with that show, I think that as you were saying that those things were like starting from ground zero or they were stripped of everything. And mm-hmm. now I've been in a process of building back up on top of that armature. Mm hmm. Um, and there was something innately bodily about those yeah. sculptures as stand-ins for the body or, like, evidence of the this kind of violent fury of making something. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also, like, about, like, one person's engagement with a material and this negotiation that goes back and forth. Uh-huh. And they were also kind of like a mediating screen for space. Right. Um, and it kind of took me a while, I think, three, four years to like start to figure out what that had meant. And so in a lot of ways, I think the work that I'm making now are like the, the skins or like the outfits that those sculptures would adorn themselves with. Sure.
0: Or, sure. Like, yeah. I think there's a connection between those, those plexi pieces being uh, recordings of a physical movement or a performance. And I could make the leap to your actual performance, that you're doing now in real time. Um, I, I, I see a, a bridge between the two. So, um, I think those are important. That's important to point out. I, I like to try and point those connections out from earlier work to current work. Um, you grew up in Vermont. I did. Small town. Very small. I also grew up in a small new England town, mm-hmm. but in New Hampshire, so across the border, but we're both country kids in the city. Um, do you think that's worked for you in any aspect of your 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 more urban life um growing up in a small town um I I'm just curious if there's if you have you think there's a benefit from from being from a small place and and then moving to a bigger
1: place um I think it has it hindrances and and benefits um you know, even when I got to college, I felt like a small town kid. You know, and yeah. there's so much that I didn't know. There's so,
0: and cute. we went to school yeah. together. To be clear, yeah. did Providence seem like a big city to you? Uh, when you moved from well, I, Vermont I always wanted Providence? to move to New York.
1: I mean, I oh, okay from. I remember being like eight or nine and seeing the lights of the nearest big town in Vermont, and mm-hmm. like being filled with this like my heart swelling with some sort of like unknowable desire mm-hmm. to like be in this like energy and not on the side of a mountain inside a yeah. house that like the lights go out all the time yeah um, so I always wanted to move to New York and I mean part of that I guess is that the benefit is that it makes you hungry for whatever it is you're looking for right
0: I also would argue that um, as again this is just my experience but um, I grew up with us a, a, in and around a certain work ethic of a small place where people are like Mostly doing physical labor for employment. I mean, there's office work in some of the bigger towns around, but like everyone has like a really strong work ethic. Um, and we could even, I could even connect that to like maintaining your yard and <laughs> raking leaves and all these things that we don't really have to do living in cities. But I feel like those early sort of understandings of physical labor have helped me um, um, sort of tackle the hard work of being an artist in the city. I don't know. Does that make sense? Uh, Maybe that's it, I'm over romanticizing, but
1: no. I mean, I think it mm. makes sense. I, th- I mean, my situation probably growing up was a little bit unique. I think because my, I didn't. I don't think I had that kind of like stability. Hmm. Like, um, I mean, I definitely did things like you know stack five, Firewood. six cords of wood. Yeah. A, you know, a year and like there were things that I did. Yeah. But on the other hand, I was like a cerebral, like artist kid that like you know drew and was anti-social and um and you know my parents were busy I, you know the the structure I think I and I was also like timid and mm-hmm. I think that I really learned you know New York was like a slap in the face when I got here uh-huh. it was like all the ideals of the world were, it was like welcome to reality yeah
0: yeah can you say a few are there any early influences uh, art art wise for you when you, you said you were you know listening to music and drawing i'm wondering what you were looking at when you're a kid too
1: um i mean i think probably comic books were like the first like automatic thing um
0: like, like marvel comic books or, or? marvel dc
1: okay. um stuff
0: we could find at the uh pharmacy in our town or something like. exactly that, right? yeah There well, wasn't necessarily an alt comic scene yet in your small vermont town
1: there wasn't early on but by the time i was like a pre-adolescent there were actually i mean the 90 the thing that people forget about the 90s was that they were like they were like record stores and skateboard shops and like comic book stores cropping up in like the most random of places yeah all before the internet yeah and so i actually was like a comic book nerd for when i was like 12 years old and i hung out with these probably horribly nerdy adults that were, like, playing role-playing games and, yeah. like, hanging out in comic book stores. But then some of them, you know, like, one guy wore, like, a trench coat and Doc Martens and, you like, Jane's Addiction, and I was like, who's this guy? Yeah. And, like, in a weird way, that like, provided these, like, pipelines into, like, the culture that it was so, sure. um, that I was so starving for. For
0: sure. I like to salute, um, underground cultures and subcultures, for us, when we were growing up in the places where we grew up, I think those were s- hugely informative and helped helped me um sort of embrace my interest in art now i mean those we don't have access to big museums and galleries where we grew up, so those like underground scenes were important skateboarding is also you mentioned skateboarding that was a big influence for me when I was a kid too um as I mentioned, we went to school together, so you um you're you're a formally trained artist we went to art school um are there any big can you cite any any important takeaways from um your your formal education in providence
1: um you know i really like reflect back on it and i was i was kind of a punk in college I remember like freshman year I was me and my friend Dan Colin were in like section together uh-huh. and we were like we were just nightmares and like our professors were essentially just trying to convince us that we should drop out L-
0: nightmares like party animal guys or just hung- combative just, what do you yeah, mean
1: hungover angsty asleep in class um, sound like a college kid yeah <laughs> but not very mature about it yeah. but also I think that I mean in it's hard for me to look at myself with objectivity, but, like, with Dan, it was clearly, like, extreme talent going on there, but, like, you know, I can imagine, too, it's, like, you're a professor and you're watching this kid, like, piss it away, and, but, it, you know, it it took me a while, actually, I did a semester abroad my junior year in Paris, mm-hmm. and I, that's when I started to think, like, oh, my God, I, I think I'm an artist, like, I... Yeah. And the weird thing that did it, though, was that I think American uh, education has a way of infantilizing students. And there's, yeah. like, a division between, uh, like, the teacher and the students. And so when I got to Paris, all of these professors were treating me like I was an adult and an artist. Right. And we could go over to their house. Yeah, and they'd the, show the, up the power dynamic watching. is different. And just suddenly being treated like that made me get so much more interested.
0: Um. Yeah, I I I didn't hit my stride till I was a senior, and I and you know there's always exceptions to the rule. Some people are sort of understand how to operate in a in an educational institution at an, uh, at the college level earlier in their four years, if that's what if that's the 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 time timeline of it. But I think so much has 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 to do with like your own maturity and being ready for. Um, when you want to get when it's time to be serious and all these things so um i was that guy too for the first half of my education um we, i think we partied i think we did <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about um if i could remember yeah uh
0: i i you know on this sort of like things that have been informative through your education what about books you mentioned a book that you're reading about um uh, uh, psychology. Um, are there any other books that are, that that are important to you, and that you think maybe other artists should read? Can you think of anything?
1: Um, uh, I mean, well, just I mean to name drop that book. Just so, I mean, yeah, for, what's for the title interest? It? It's called One Way or Another. One it's by another. A, a British essayist named Adam Phillips. Um, his wife is a fashion curator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that m- my interest in books usually like it's it gears towards the the nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So and it's like always I'm always like churning through things. Um there's one art history book that I really liked that I, I pick up over and over again. Um it's called The Artwork Caught by Its Tail or something like that. I think huh. is what it's called by George Baker. It's an MIT Press book and it's about um Piccabia and Duchamp and um sort of like the development of the of the meta consideration of the artwork or like mm-hmm. the artwork sort of indicting its audience. Um, and that's been really influential on me, especially in the way that I make like multiples or additions, like the idea yeah. that like the artwork isn't complete until it's perceived. Um, is I mean, that a big book,
0: a big, thick? Art yeah, history it's book? pretty okay. thick. It
1: has like gold foil cover. Um, it's a lot of text though with some images. Right. Um, but I read, I read like music biographies, you know, I just read like the, springsteen biography is that good born to run run. yeah was it good yeah it was good cool yeah i mean he he's funny the way you through those books you really get like a sense of how someone wants to be perceived right i you know i think springsteen i you know i'm a fan
0: but you know the more i read about him especially as he gets older is like his image and his whole it's a character Mm -hmm. it's not he it's like a designed character um which is I, I guess I'm still on like trying to decide if I like that or not.
1: Yeah, I mean he definitely plays like you know, the the lucky working class kid yeah. that got to play with the stones, man. Yeah. Like but uh but it's interesting to hear about like how he began. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's the thing that I like about him is he's kind of in shambles. Like it even happens in his music where he's you know, like uh you know, like, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Like, some of those songs are just, like, kind of a wreck. Yeah. But they're, like, pretty amazing, too. Yeah. And in a weird way, like, his idea of this improbable rise of this Jersey kid or something, I think is, like, sort of reflective in the fact that he wasn't very, like, clear as to, like, what his ideas were. Right. He's just trying to jam so much. Well, he had some help. He had, like, handlers sort of steering him. I I can't
0: remember the guy's name, but there was some, some guy that... um.
1: It was the Dylan guy.
0: Is that who it was? Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's wild. Nebraska is probably one of my top five favorite records. It's great. And it's crazy to think about that record and then look at an image of Bruce Springsteen today and all the Botox Mm -hmm. and think that 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 face made that record. It's kind of wild. Anyways, I'm curious if you could, uh, I guess since we're sort of talking about well-known people bruce Springsteen. if you could have a a a dream if you could fantasize a a a studio visit where you could have anyone in here be they living or dead artist or non-artist who would you love to have come into your studio and have a conversation about your work with
1: it's a pretty hard question
0: it is Uh uh-huh um you could pass too we could
1: skip it no it's okay i mean it's funny because you know we tried to do this another time and Mm -hmm. you asked me who i want to go on a road trip with yeah i you have rephrase the question (laughs) (laughs) and that sounded way more fun (laughs) than a studio visit okay um but yeah i mean if you want to ask that question again that would be easier for me to answer yeah road trip then i I said caravaggio
0: oh that's right that's right it's funny i already forgot the answer yeah i guess it wasn't that memorable no no i mean (laughs) My 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 brain does
1: not retain much right now. Anyways, um, why Caravaggio? Um, I think, I think I, I think I've been thinking about him a lot recently, and I've thought about him. He's like one of those artists that I first responded to in my life, really immediately without having to know a lot about art. But mm-hmm. also, I didn't forget about him, and like the work deepens with with me over time, and. It reflects like a lot of the interest that I have over time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's also a wild man and yeah. prone to... Party animal. Yeah, but like... He's like kind of, kind of an original punk.
0: Yeah. He, he ruffled a lot of feathers. He did, yeah. He was in a he was in sort of like a little art gang or like a gang of a like-minded gang. people. And they all had like... I think now I'm remembering our conversation. I brought mm. up the the daggers that they had. Yeah. And they all had this engraving in latin it was um the translation was no hope no future yeah and they were like that was their whole thing
1: yeah and they would go to like tennis courts and stab people yeah (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm.
0: that could be a fun road trip
1: i think so yeah Yeah. Uh, find the darker corners of america
0: yeah or the like the dark places with a like one really great light source and you could stand under it with them yeah like one of his paintings
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 and then take a selfie
0: and then take a selfie (laughs) Uh, I'm curious about your first time showing your work. Um, do you remember the first time you put your work in a public space, like in a gallery or, uh, I don't know, like, a some setting that asks you to put your, your work up, um, outside th- of school. So not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. not like senior show or anything. Yet.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I th- I can't remember. I had two, I had two group shows that I was in pro- right after I started making sculpture. I can't remember which one came first, but they're both, um, they kind of loom large in my mind because of the just really spontaneous connections that were made through it. But one of them was curated by David Adamo, who was like my neighbor and he's an artist. He's a really good artist. Um, and he was making like totally different work then, but he wanted all these like really tiny artworks. Um, in this show. And then the other one was at this gallery called Rivington arms. That's no longer exists. Um, but was kind of like a really cool era defining gallery on the lower East side in the early aughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, ran by these two women, um, Mirabelle Martin and Melissa bent. And, um, they had like, you know, like the coolest artists around and, I just so nervously, like, brought them my slides. I took slides at the time.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to – like, I figured Dan was going to come back up again, and, like, Dan may have introduced you or something, but you
1: approached them. Yeah, well, Dan had got them to go visit Jonah Capel, who was was in my first apartment with me, and they came and visited, and they, like, popped their head in, and I Uh met them, and, you know, I don't think they liked my work. But anyway, like, a year and a half later, I was now making sculpture, and they curated me into this group show called The Sad Summer Show about these sad... There were all these sad artworks. <laughs> and um, it was... I don't know, it was so cool that I had this piece in this show, but that the piece that was in that show, uh, a woman from Berlin, a Greek woman, came and saw that piece and totally fell in love with it and then uh, asked them if she could do a studio visit with me. And then, like, lo and behold, she was opening a gallery in Berlin and... My first solo shows were just because of that one piece in this one. That's thing.
0: great. I, I that is the best thing. Like we all want want these things to sell. Obviously, when they're in in a commercial gallery, right? Because we want to earn money to pay our bills and put food on the table. Um, but I might put another door opening in the way of like another showing opportunity as the result of showing on top of selling the work. Sometimes that's like really important to me. So it's nice to hear that's how things unfolded for you um
1: and the work did not sell so that was yeah. the only thing that happened well <laughs> it, it,
0: i mean it's down. it's 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 a cascade of th- events hopefully it'll, you know perhaps we could cite that experience is what sort of set your showing um career in motion
1: yeah and i think that even though in the like grand scheme of things with artists it's not um you think like oh is the reason you make it to Mm -hmm. have it shown or to sell or all these things and there's an endless list of pragmatics to talk about with that like eating food and paying rent and Mm -hmm. like sheltering yourself against the cold um but you you know sometimes you think you're crazy like am i just this incoherent babbler and it's when you get when you get like some support like that it um it it helps. It carries you through these like difficult times where you think like, Well, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm um people get it. Like mm-hmm. I'm not incoherent. People right. can hear the language that I'm speaking. Right.
0: What I'm going through is
1: common. A lot of other people are going through it as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. I guess yeah.
0: Um while we're talking about paying the bills and stuff, I know that you have a um your your own business as a art handler well you and a a couple of your friends which is yeah i think a really great thing you you guys have your own little little team and you know the autonomy that comes with that um and not working for some bigger conglomerate is is um inspiring from where i sit um but that's how you earn money to help support your studio practice um and also i feel like that art handling gig plays a role in, in your art. I mean, you, a lot of your, the tools that you use in art handling show up in your artwork. Um, so there's a nice um, correspondence between those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you told me a pretty great story of, 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 well, great and scary of getting injured while you were uh, delivering a piece of art to someone. Do you remember the story? Can you, can you yeah, recap yeah.
1: it? Um, you were asking me if I had like a memorable story and I was, I mean, we do so many things. It's it's crazy. But mm-hmm. like a, one that is, that happened recently, which was like a near death story, which I was at Sir Patrick Stewart's house, mm-hmm. AKA Jean-Luc Picard, mm-hmm. um, Shakespearean actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a house in Brooklyn and we were packing up his art collection for a renovation so the artwork would be safe and <clears throat> he wasn't there but I was making a box and I pulled a box cutter blade back and I sliced my leg open on my thigh like right. really bad through your pants yeah I was wearing these white pants and they just fi- the leg just filled up with blood like from the above the knee down like within seconds and I backed into the bathroom and I had to end up cleaning myself up from this like murder disaster scene in um, Jean-Luc Picard's bathroom Um, and you know I had to make a tourniquet with blue tape and uh, Glenn who I was working with had to like run interference with his personal organizer to make sure that he didn't think I was a crazy person Uh which included the moment where he walked in and inevitably saw me in my underwear with like a giant mass of toilet paper around my leg. (laughs) bloody bloody yeah yeah. and i had to we had to ask if i could put my pants i washed my pants with hand soap in the in the sink in the bathroom sink and then we had to put my pants in the dryer and then i finished the job two hours later it sounds like
0: the assistant was cool about things too he didn't flip out
1: i think he was a little weirded out but i had to do with like a whole and with a lot of these jobs you have to perform to some degree right that like everything is cool and chill and um, I was getting really lightheaded and we I, have this under control.
0: Yeah. Both the uh, hanging of the artwork and the blood gushing out of my Oh body. yeah. And he was like,
1: Oh, those are nice boxes. You know. What? <laughs> um, and then we, we rolled out of there. We put our tools in the car and then I limped up the street to the nearest urgent care where I got five stitches from my doctor who was like nine months pregnant. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, I walked in and I said, don't faint. And she was like, looked at my wound and she was like, you don't faint. Yeah. Like you've lost a lot of blood. Yeah. That's I mean, Glenn, Glenn was look, looking up the uh, where I cut myself, and to make and, sure it wasn't that main artery. Yeah, but he was like, he's he's like he missed it by like a half an inch. Dang. Um, I'm curious um, if you could give your
0: younger self some advice. Maybe um, when you're just graduating from from art school, what sort of advice you might give yourself with now that you have some hindsight.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I do this all the time. It's, I think it's like a really big, it's tra- a time travel question. Yeah. Right. Um, I think I would probably would have told myself to have more courage. Hmm. Took me a while.
0: Yeah. Um, that's, that's actually perfect. Cause I wanted to talk about the sort of courage that it takes to do. Well, I, I, you know, I talked to someone recently where, where, where I described, putting art out there for other people to see. I, I describe that as a courageous act. And I, I believe that, but I started to second-guess myself. Like, well, actually, you know, like serving in the military is uh, like m- arguably like a courageous act. Like there's, di- there's these different levels of courage. Um, and I'm curious what you think, if you think being an artist is a courageous act in this day and age.
1: Um, I think it is like as a... As an example, um, not—I don't think it really like benefits society in a lot of ways, in a, in the direct ways that mm. um, it's also probably really narcissistic and introverted. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, it offers a a way that people can like live and make and work that are not harmful to the world mm-hmm. in general. And um,
0: yeah, artists don't typically railroad people i mean that happens but um i'd like to think that
1: but we're a healthy bunch um, i think that it it also i think it's just it's a
0: humane bunch
1: yeah i think so and but and i think that it it allows um it implies that you're thinking and analyzing and um you know not just mindly consuming things that you know you're you're essentially like you're theoretically contributing to the world mm-hmm. you know it's stuff though it is like commodities yeah
0: yeah um and that, and then i also think that um this idea of courage plays a bigger role in the performance stuff that you're starting to do it takes great courage to go back to a conversation i had recently with another artist um she was describing a performance she did where she was naked i was like oh that takes great courage she's like does it <laughs> and she. She described like she was like that naked person in in, in art school, and mm-hmm. it's no big deal. And like, well, I don't think I could do that, but I also don't think I could do a performance the way you're, you, you you describe the one you did in Estonia, and um, and the sense of vulnerability that might come with that. And um, I'm I'm wondering if if you can talk about how you found that courage to 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 put yourself out there like that. Um, or is it just I, like well, taking the risk and and the risk and reward idea is it
1: just is as, as simple as that It's partially that I think it's also like I had ra- rationalized it by that point um it was what made the most sense for my work mm-hmm. at that moment and it and I think that what it's doing right now is like helping explain myself to people mm-hmm. Um I mean there's some nice uh pragmatics to the thing where I'm inside an outfit, so I have kind of like a veil or like a mediating screen between me and the world. Mm-hmm. And because I can only see people through that little pinhole, I can't really, you know, gauge reactions very yeah. well. And um, so, in a weird way, I've created a situation where I'm, I'm both, like myself, and I'm a character. Right. And so
0: there's some safety in that.
1: There is there. I think mm-hmm. that it's like, it's depriving people, yeah, of, you know, the ability to observe me the way that you would be right right i can identify
0: like um like karaoke situations i'm not that's of uh, like maybe the most performance i'll do or dancing at a party or something i i always feel more comfortable putting on sunglasses and doing it and it's that i think it's that psychology <laughs> of hiding your like just a little bit of yourself or obscuring yourself a little bit um
1: yeah i mean i'm not a you know, I'm a social person, but I'm I'm terrified by things like karaoke and right. I mean even every time I every time I go to dance nowadays, like at wedding or wherever, it's like it's like I just hopped on a bike after like 30 years or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Like I'm just like I'm awkward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: I'm curious what you're um, what you're excited about right now, um, be it art related, other other. Um, shows you've seen or other artists whose work that you're really into or maybe it's something unart related, related um, like a series you're watching with your wife or on tv or um, a place you want to travel to or you know is, is there anything on that list
1: <clears throat> my first instinct is to just say like everything mm-hmm. you know because the there's so many things you know we, i was just in london with my wife and I saw so many shows, and just the fact that it wasn't in New York was really, like, putting a new fire within me. Sure. And And, um, you know, it's it's been a really challenging year, both, like, internally and ex- outside of myself, like, you know, in the realm of news and things like that. Uh-huh. And I think it's pretty easy to be... to feel, like, pretty dark about things right now. Um, but on the other hand, I think that, like you know, maybe because my work is like about struggle to some degree that yeah. like, that's the place where I feel at home. So like in a, in a weird way, like my feelings of like darkness or negativity about the now are innately inspiring somehow. Hmm. Um, I guess that's a roundabout way of answering your question. No, that's, but.
0: that's, I think that's, that's insightful. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I you're one of our great thinkers and, um, <laughs> I, the layers of, 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 of information that you're presenting and the way that your work, uh, challenges me to, to ask questions and, and remain curious. I really appreciate. Um, it keeps me coming back to the work and, thinking about it after i've left it and it sticks with me i mentioned this i think i say this every time i see your work i come by your studio it's like i thought about that thing for like three days and i was unpacking it for myself um because i wanted to discover um something about it that i didn't take in the, the the when it was in front of my face and that's i think a really beautiful thing and what you've got going on in here and um um yeah man exciting and thanks for sharing um um in this way about your process and, and some of the intent behind this work um and i'm excited to see see this stuff um this spring right in in a show that you're working towards
1: yeah, yeah. um i when you first walked in I, sh- I started to show you the model that i built for my show my upcoming show with derek eller oh that's right um, so it's been existing in my mind for a while, so I'm trying to actualize it in tiny scale. Um, but yeah, it, it's upcoming, I'm really excited about it, and I've been pretty hesitant over the past few years, actually. I've done a lot of, like, two-person and three-person shows, mm-hmm. and, um, a lot of that was kind of, like, discovering what this work I was working on was about and how it looked in the world, and. I feel like it's all congealing into this like new glob of le- like legible information. Yeah, I would so. agree. I
0: would agree. It's gonna be great. Thanks. It's gonna be great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jeff. Woo And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.